I'm here with Jessica Dupuy, who is a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators and a certified sommelier. And she's a freelance writer focusing on wine, travel, food, things Texas, things abroad. So Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is wonderful. So uh, you were on the show last year and you were talking about how you were excited. You every year come up with a list of your top Texas wines for Texas Monthly. It used to be a yearly thing. And then uh, this is the first year you've brought it to a quarterly thing, right? How's yeah, it going? That's right. Uh, it's actually going really well. And I'm, I'm so glad we've been able to do this. You know, with the once a year column, you know, we were releasing a wine, a list of wines that were between 20 and 30 on a list, but that was supposed to encompass the whole year. Um, The problem with that is one, there are more wines probably worth talking about than just 20. Sure. And um, I was also running into the problem that a lot of the wines that were really good throughout a given year, maybe in a small release. And so if they were released really early in the year, by the time I was talking about them to people, they were gone, they were sold out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, the good and bad of Texas wine is we've got some great wines, uh, but we sell out of them pretty fast. So, um, this give, gives me an opportunity to do two things. One, catch new releases of wines in a more timely way. Right. Um, it allows me to work with the different producers throughout the state and kind of keep them, you know, on their toes and say, let me know when you've got something new to talk about so we can evaluate it and see if it, you know, if it's going to make the top list. Um, but it also has allowed me to taste more wines. So, right. I mean, in any given tasting, it's about 100 wines per, t- per sit down. And so... Um, yeah, so remind us of yeah. your process of how it goes down. Um, you know, that's a lot of wines to tackle in it, an afternoon. It's a lot of wines. <laughs> it's a lot of wines, and it's it's of actually not an afternoon. We start at like 9 in the morning. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. <laughs> Which is good because you're fresh. Right. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the process is this. Now, four times a year, I do a call for wines. Right. Um, and it's all wines. It's not focused on a category like the spectator correct. does. So it's just what, what they want to offer, what right. they want to throw out. Right. There. At this point, um, you know, I think Texas wines, we need to be, and we, we can talk more about the, what's going on in the industry in general, yeah. but I think we're, it's a little too soon to be specifying right. um, only this category right now and only that category in a couple of months. Right now I'm trying to get as many in the gate as I can to participate so that we have a, have a good sense of what's out there. Um, anyway, so yeah, we, we, um, I, I get, usually it's around a hundred wines that are submitted. Um, and, and per, per producer, I don't, um, let them, submit any more than four wines okay. total. Okay. So even if it's a so large... So they have to show their... They have to choose yes. kind of from their best of their I stocks. Wanna, yeah. yeah. I want them to send me what they're really proud of. Right. Not that they shouldn't be proud of all of their things, but you know, for those that are larger producers, I need them to really think about if you're going to give me wines four times a year, what are yeah. the four per you know, um, selection that you're going to send in? And uh, that also helps the smaller producers also be able to, to fight on an even keel. Not that it's a fight... Right. <laughs> or competition, although it kind of is. Right. Um, right. But yeah, and it also keeps me pretty organized too. It helps right. me keep things in, in line. Um, and what I love about it is that I am, with every 
you know, new tasting I'm having, my net is being cast wider. I'm I'm able to find more and more producers to work with. And a lot of their wines are really rising to the top. So it's very exciting. Yeah, very cool. So so game day then, uh, you're you're tasting these wines blind, right? Uh, Yes. They're they're brown paper bagged. uh, Yes. And and we we do need to mention that you you don't taste alone, but the list is is yours um, in yours alone. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I have a third party person pouring the wines because even though there's a lot of them, I've been doing this for a while now in yeah, Texas and yeah. I recognize bottles. Yeah, I can, yeah. you know, the even of the lip yeah, and, I can, yeah. if I see even the lid, I'm like, Oh, that could be a such and such. And yeah. so I really, I, I try to take all of that out of there. Yeah. Um, and I leave the room, the wines are poured. Um, and yes, it is all blind. Yeah. So, um, with that, I usually have one or two people also tasting with me, um, all of which are certified sommelier or higher. Yeah. Um, there are people that are in the industry that, um, are tasting on a regular basis. And, um, it's fun because I'm then also able to work with people in the restaurant industry who I are constantly asking me, right. what Texas wine should I be paying attention to? Right. Like, who yeah. should I be, you know, bringing onto my my wine list at a restaurant? Right. Um, so it's good for them. It's good for me. It's good for everyone. Absolutely. And, yeah, and having them with me is less about. It's just making sure I'm tasting things in right. Like if I think I've seen a faulted wine, I ask them, does this seem faulted to you? Or we talk about it. Um, Or if I like something a lot that no one else likes, I need to be able (laughs) to understand why. Why, And we'll talk about it. Or vice versa. If they like something a lot that I don't, I need to figure out yeah, it, it, it's the it's a it's a hard position that a critic is in because Correct. wine is so personal, but then you have to also think what is quality from an objective standpoint, Correct. and uh, that's yeah. a that's a very tough thing for a lot of people to um, to kind of wrap their heads around. Although I have to say, you know, your yearly list and now this quarterly list is 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 really a, a wonderful resource for the public and the industry. That's what I hope to do, and yeah. I think that's the biggest. That's, you hit on something really important. Like what I may want to drink in a given day and what I prefer may not be what somebody else prefers. And so, I mean, the whole reason that I've, you know, you've listed my certifications and things like that. I don't do it so that I have a bunch of letters behind my name, but really to keep my palate primed um, because I'm not looking for necessarily what my favorite wine is as much as what are the, what are wines that are getting out there from Texas producers that are quality and that are things that people can really um, stand behind. And so, yeah, you're going to see a diversity of things. Some of the wines are a little bit sweet. Some of the wines are exactly what you expect them to be. They might be heavy reds or light whites. But uh, the idea behind that is making sure that um, I'm talking to people about wines that they can have a lot of confidence right. in when they go to the shelf. And so, and I, I want to uh, also bring up a point that um, your list and, and your latest one was published October 7th or thereabouts uh-huh. uh, yes. on the website and um, on texasmonthly.com. And I want to bring up something in a world of numbers and, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, this need to grasp on to uh, 93 is better than 92. Oh, you you yes. don't assign a number to the wine yeah I don't. so yeah. It's, it, and so talk about that is that what was was that a debate in your head there 
well, not really in my head. It was yeah. certainly a debate, and and a lot a lot of conversations happened around it. And, sure. I, and don't get me wrong. I mean, from a publication standpoint, I understand the business of numbers, and and, yeah. and specifically that when there's a number, let's say on the cover of a magazine, that helps sell the, the servicey aspect of I need to or know the word best, the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, and I think there has been a time uh, throughout wine journalism where prescribing a number like 93 or 94 or 89 points or whatever to a wine has certainly um, been beneficial. And I know that it helps sell wines, particularly on a retail Absolutely, shelf. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but when, I ca- when it came down to it, what I'm doing on a, day- on a quarterly basis now is not trying to give a specific number to something. In my mind, um, when I'm tasting these wines, if they make the list, then they've made a 90 or higher in, you know, in correlation to what these other wines in different magazines might be getting a number for. Um, And so at that point, it seemed kind of silly because trying to give a number to these wines that are so different from each other once the list is complete, there's no, it's all relative at that point. These are wines we're talking about, period. Right. Um, And not every wine is better in uh, each situation. That's exactly right. So you might... Uh, you might, and the advantage that you have is you you write a, a f- a more than most critics do. I think if you just look at Spectator, you know there's more words here, which is a right. good thing because then that gives you the opportunity to describe, hey, in this situation, in right. that situation, what really shines. Right. What was good about it? Yeah. What you know? What what circumstances make this a great wine for food or a, a patio, you know, wine, something right. like that. Um, and I, and I also think I, I'd like to believe I could be wrong, but I think. Um, wine journalism, when it comes to critiquing wines, is going in a different direction. I think that, you know, more wines are available these days. Um, there are more wine professionals on the floor that are trying to explain to you a, a whole different diversity of wines. Right. And um, and we're reading about that. And so I think putting a number to all of them actually um, doesn't tell the story. Yeah. You know, I mean... What I've been doing for the past, well, since 2007 on Texas wine is telling a story, not right. just writing about one wine that's better than another. Absolutely, um, yeah. And when people in- sit to enjoy wine at a table, yeah, that's part of what makes the experience better is what's behind this wine? Where did it come from? Is the guy a farmer up in, in Lubbock? Great. Who's he? Where's he from? You know, right. what's that about? Um, numbers just make it boring. If right. You ask me. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'm the only one, but I, I kind of think I'm not. No, I want to know the stories. Yeah. And, and I want to, uh, you know, I want something that is unique and personal that is then captured in the bottle. I'm right. with you. Yeah. yeah. If you're just joining us, I'm with Jessica Dupuis, who is a, a food and wine and travel writer. And we're talking about her fall Texas monthly top Texas wines. Um, on this show and in celebrating Texas Wine Month, month which is October, uh, we've talked a lot about some of the the um, indigenous grapes to the s- southern part of the U.S. We've talked about a lot of the Mediterranean grapes uh, that are really really shining here. But I want to start off. I want to dig into your list, mm-hmm. your fall list, sure. and I want to start off by you know uh, talking about the international varieties because I feel like there's been a real lashback on Cab Merlot, Chardonnay. Well, Chardonnay's mm-hmm. uh, you know really hard. Um, but a, a few of these international varieties uh, did make the list. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Cab and Merlot in Texas. Well, okay. Um, I think that 
Uh, that's a, a broad <laughs> question. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm going to try to say this as best I can. Sure, yeah. I think that with the diversity of soils that we have in Texas, which is pretty diverse, let's again, just to put in context, same right. same size, if not bigger than France, right. and how many different regions and you know soil types does France have? And so let's just think right. about that for a second. Hundreds of grape varieties. Yeah, from Champagne to the Rhone to the right. Loire to Alsace. It's very different. So now put Texas within that ge- uh, geographic boundary. Right. Um, so with that in mind, Car- Cabernet Sauvignon doesn't go go very well in Champagne, and it certainly doesn't do very well in Alsace, right? right. So we've got to think about that grape in Texas in a, in, a, in a similar way. That being said, it can grow here, and it can certainly um, grow well here. Um and I'm not a viticulturist, right. viticulturalist, so I'm not going to speak to those expertise. But from the reporting I've done, I think the best way to put it is we may be able to do some really exceptional Cabernets. The question is whether or not we can do those exceptional Cabernets on a consistent year-to-year basis. Uh-huh. And the consensus is that maybe one to every three years, we're going to have some really great options um, available to us, depending on the grower, depending on the producer. Um, but that may not be the grape that we bet on. That being said, right. I, I love it when I find some of those cabs that rise to the top or right. Merlots that rise to the top, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. Right. Let's talk about it. And it's it's really cool. So so the Brennan Vineyards Cab 2014 mm-hmm. uh, w- w- made the list, and uh, you liken it to uh, an Australian, a Kunuara Cab, yes. um, which is really uh, interesting <laughs> given that that's probably the furthest uh, region <laughs> away from here, yes. you know, uh, very different than your California Cab and very different than Bordeaux, of course. Um, yeah, but what's not different is the soil types and the climate, yeah. you know? And that's what's so cool is Kunawara has these, you know, red dirt and red soils. And, you know, this particular cab, I believe, was grown primarily in Comanche, which is between the hill country and the high plains. And um, it, it's got some interesting soil types yeah, too, but cool. certainly the same heat factor. Yeah, yeah. And um, Kunawara cabs, what I like about them, um, in their category is that they've got this, you know, pronounced fruit, ripe fruit characteristic to them. You're going to get your cassis and you're going to get some um, blackberry and, and dark cherry and, and things like that. But you are always going to get some, at least I have, some level of this eucalyptus characteristic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, that was in this cab. Like that was almost the leading thing in this Brennan cab when I first smelled it. I'm like, goodness gracious. I mean, it was rich and and leathery and all of these things and and complex but it wasn't napa it was certainly not napa and it certainly wasn't bordeaux (laughs) um it totally took me to australia so cool and then uh the messina hoff uh, merlot made made Mm. made the cut too is that kind of what you expect from normal merlot just soft silky tannins and yeah i mean this was this is totally a a sweet baby i mean it's um (laughs) it's sweet it's not a sweet wine but it's just it's a very um luscious and velvety wine and it's certainly what makes people love more you know the, the kind of wine that people love about merlot it's um it is that yeah. that smoother um 
But it, but the thing is, and and I will say, Messina Hoff does uh, produce Merlot, you know, every year, and um, this isn't the first time that that one of their Merlots has risen to the top. It does right. a really, they do a really good job with it. Yeah. Cab Franc as well. That's another grape for them that they've been able to. Um, yeah, and you don't see that. You don't much see around that a Texas. lot in Texas. Yeah. Certainly yeah. not. So. Whatever they're doing, okay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Tell us. Um, so we've got. We, we might be considered to be after rosé season, although I sure. think rosé season should be all year. I mean, in Texas, yeah, yeah. What is that? Right. Which should be and, every day. And and but we do have Thanksgiving coming up, which yes. a lot of people kind of go for. Uh, you know, they kind of default to you know some kind of rosé, mm-hmm. maybe to start off with appetizers or mm-hmm. whatever. Tell us about kind of just your favorite rosés that you've seen. I know that you had a rosé special previously right yes, but yeah but what 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 just really tickles you on the rosé uh, front yeah so um well the rosés that made this list um i was a little torn because um i did do a, a list of rosés that right. like almost a dozen of them in may but not all of the rosés made in texas were released by that time right which was hard because these these in particular are ones that are definitely worth talking about. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw them in the fall list, even though it doesn't seem very fallish to have a rosé. And that's because, you know, the ones that are on there, the Dandy Rosé from Ray um, Wilson and um, the Provencal from Becker, and then this kind of novelty rosé that pops out every year from um, Yellow City Cellars. I think I yeah. said that right. It's you kind got of a it. tongue twister. Yeah. Um, the, the Dead, dead flowers. flowers. Yeah. These are three um, just, you can't, you just can't, you can't not drink them. They're yeah. really delicious. <laughs> they're they're just quenchy, I, to, to use the phrase of a friend of mine out of Atlanta. I think it's a really, um, it's a shame not to drink wines like this all year long. Yeah. So um, these are fresh. They've got fruit. Um, I think the dandy and the dead flowers, well, okay, the dandy is kind of like, the delicate one out of those three and and this one that um, has this brilliant acidity and um, kind of just a, a nice um, it, it kind of covers all the angles that you would want from a rose right um, there's citrus there's berry it's wonderful yeah um, the Provencal is very much like a, a vengri from from Provence I mean it's it's really pretty yeah. um, there's floral elements to it it's it's just this dainty little rose and it's yeah. lovely cool um, and then there's this dead flowers, which is great and, and hits all of those notes and elements as well. But, um, you know, this is made by a guy named Bo Salling, um, and he really, you know, I guess you could say turned the fruit components on this to one louder. I mean, it's at 11. And so there's this ripeness of fruit, but they're still balanced by nice acidity, and it's really nice. It's yeah. a pretty wine. Well, wonderful. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're with Jessica Dupuis, and we're talking about her uh, fall picks for top Texas wines. We're celebrating Texas Wine Month, the month of October. Well, we've only got a few days left, I suppose, and um, but we're going to be continuing to enjoy Texas wines. We need to take a short break, and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, 91.7 FM and K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. We're, uh, we're with Jessica Dupuis, and we're talking about her Texas Monthly column, uh, The Best Texas Wines of uh, the Fall 2016. Um, and, uh, and so let's dig into, we talked about, you know, the process. We talked about some rosés. We talked about some international varieties. Um, Jessica, what, 
you know, there's several whites here, although the red is, the, the, the list is very dominant in red wine, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we probably should expect in the fall. Um, you know, something that stood out to me was that a lot of the kind of, the grapes that people are really looking to made this, you know, Albarino made made it on the list, uh, Roussan, mm-hmm. which I think is um, is really fun. Talk about Albarino, because you have the Pedernale Cellars, Albarino, and then you have an Albarino blend. Yes. Yeah. What what is is that kind of what you would expect in Texas as 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 in the north of Spain? Well, I will say that first of all, those were really happy finds. Um, you know, relatively new wines. Yeah, too, to the scene. relatively. I mean, you, you, I've seen some some Albarino um, throughout the state, but but Eden Hill in particular, this is the second time that they've they've come out with something like this, um, and. I'm trying to remember. I think Pernalis has done it as well, but this both of them came out of the gate with some really amazing wine. So um, the Pernalis one, I mean, Pernalis Cellars is, has you know made a name for itself with its Tempranillo right. and, and obviously its Viognier. I mean, they've made some some beautiful Viogniers that are award winning not only within Texas but internationally, including France, Lyon. Um, but uh, that's right. They 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 won a a, a competition in yeah in yeah double yeah. gold and yeah. and the only one that the only American uh, producer that's done that. So it's super cool. super fantastic. But what I love about this Albarino is you know it's got some of um, I guess the floral characteristics and some pretty um, fruit characteristics on the nose. But sometimes uh, when you when you get that from like a Viognier um, and you put it on the palate, sometimes Viogniers fall flat. For me, they they're a little too broad on the palate. I hate to say flabby, but they're just they're not as exciting as well. The acidity is lower, exactly. you know, and 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 striking that balance of alcohol, acidity, and ripeness is is, is really very hard. Yeah, with really yeah. difficult. Whereas Albarino has some of those floral component floral components that you look for right, in Viognier, yeah. but then there's this brightness of as of acidity. Um, obviously, this is not being grown in. I'm going to say this wrong, but Rios Bias. And I think that the the problem with that is we don't have um, the ocean, which is right. what Spain has, right. to kind of give um, what I almost deem as like a, a salinity to Albarinos that you find in Spain. Um, and and that's okay because yeah. whatever is happening in the high plains where there's not a drop of water around <laughs> <laughs> or, or ocean water for that matter um, – it's still really finding a, a home there um, as a grape, and it's it's gaining this beautiful acidity. And I think this wine is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it was one of my favorites in all of the whites I tasted in this selection. Cool. Um, and the Eden Hill is probably right up there with it. And what I thought was cool about it is they they took kind of the broader elements that you get from Viognier. Um, so this one has a bigger broader palette, um, but the acidity is what bolsters um, what the Viognier doesn't have. So they're they're a happy marriage, if you will. They really play off of each other well. And again, here in Texas in the New World, we're not bound to tradition or rules (laughs) as, you know, in in Spain or in the Rhone Valley, you would never see Albarino and Viognier (laughs) blended together. So that's just, uh, it's cool, uncharted territory. Yeah, absolutely. Just making it what what the greatest of what components right. you get from each it's right great. and experimenting yeah cool well let's dig into the 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 reds mm-hmm. because you know that's kind of the main show um can i can i can i ask you what tickled your fancy the most is it, what's the, the most memorable 
Um, and, and, you know, you can not pick sides. You can. No, <laughs> no. Well, actually the one that was my big like surprise yeah. was, um, you know, when I was accepting submissions for this particular, um, this, this particular tasting or evaluation, um, you know, I, I have the UPS and FedEx guy coming regularly to my office and right. it's, it's, a, it's an exciting time for them. They're like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. But you know, I mark them and, and organize them according. And, um, I got this one box, um, that had these big, gigantic, heavy duty, like Bordeaux style bottles or more than Bordeaux. I mean, like they right. were like really nice. They're black label, like everything. I'm like, where in the world does, yeah. did this come from? No letter, no, no note, no idea. And I had to look on the back label to, to even see, cause I get samples for wines all over the world. Sure. So it could, I was like, maybe this is a Napa wine. I don't know what I'm getting here. Yeah. Um, and it was, it said Texas Tempranillo and it, all it said on there was C dot L dot Buteau, which is how you pronounce it. But I was like, okay, I, I've never heard of these guys. I've never right. heard of a producer, but it I says Texas. Either, yeah. uh, I'm just going to throw it in the lot and see how it turns out for right. this tasting. Cool. Um, and it's, it's the vintage is 2014. Um, and it, I was able to find out later um, that it, it's all high plains fruit. Um, but in the tasting, it, it was tight a little bit at first, um, and a lot of times I'll go back to wines when they're big and, and need a little bit of air to them. Um, and I was just amazed at how this one kept evolving in the glass, and I really felt like I was tasting something that um, that was exciting because it was um, – I don't know how to say it in the best terms, but um, it tasted like this is a real-world wine that – has depth and complexity and nuance and all of these things that you want in a wine. Um, and it just kept going and going and yeah, going. Um, yeah. and, and I don't typically, I mean, I like Tempranillo, but it's not the first grape I, I, I go to on my own. Um, but I loved this wine yeah. and I loved it an hour later and I loved it two hours later. Um, cool. So, it was one of my favorites. So how did these guys pop up? I mean, they, yeah. they, uh, you know, I haven't heard of them either. Yeah, obviously I had to go do some digging, which thankfully I'm a reporter. That's what I do. Right, right, um, yeah. So I did find uh, that this is a wine created by Randy and Brooke Hester, um, who are originally Texans, but they've been making wine in, in the Napa region for a number of years. Um, they do a, brand, a, a label out there called Lightning Wines, and they do a beautiful job. I actually... Um, haven't tasted a ton of their Napa wines. I hadn't even really heard of Lightning wines, um, but they're they have aspirations to be back in Texas, and so they've kind of slowly taken their time um, introducing themselves to the Texas wine industry by starting with this red. Um, this is a, again a 2014 Tempranillo. Um, what I could tell with this wine is there was a lot of care yeah. taken in producing it, and it. <laughs> So clearly the fact that they are from Napa might have, you know, might have really influenced the way that they made this wine or the yeah. philosophy they took. What, what, what is it? Is it, you know, is it that they have, um, you know, because I hear a lot of producers who say, well, making wine in Texas is not like making wine in California. Sure. And if, and yeah. if you make wine in Texas as if you were making wine in California, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. 
so what is it about that? I mean, is it that they just have, do they have higher standards? I mean, do they, do they, um, is it the philosophy that they take? I mean, wh- or, and of course you don't know exactly, but what, what are your impressions about that? I mean, my impressions with this were that everything was, it's meti- it, it was meticulous in the way that they produced it. Okay. It, 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 it's a very clean wine. Okay, cool. Um, I could tell that there was, quite a bit of oak usage on it, which for mm-hmm. Tempranillo is totally fine, yeah. especially American oak. And I, I don't think this had a ton of American oak. I think there's quite a bit of French as well. Sure. And so with that, um, you can taste this. Um, it's it's alluring. It's yeah. lush. It's opulent. But at the same time, it has some serious structure to it. Right. Um, and, and to me, that just says they handled with care, you know, and I think it's because you can't get away with much less in the Napa region if you want to compete. Right. And yep. these guys, if, if what I tasted in the bottle this, this time around, if they are really coming to Texas and they are really going to be producing in Texas, then it's definitely going to be raising the bar for everyone else that's out there. Yeah. I just, I was really impressed with the, with the care that was taken in this wine. Well, wonderful. We're rooting yeah. for the whole Texas industry and yeah. we want to see it improve uh, entirely. And um, okay, excellent. Now you said that Tempranillo is not maybe your go-to, but, but, <laughs> but that was your favorite wine. And then, and then there's a, a handful of other Tempranillos uh, on, on the list, you know, uh, Pedernale Cellars again. And yep. um, do you, th- do you think that it's, um, as as hype uh, worthy as as everybody is thinking, I mean, you've ta- you probably tasted some mediocre Tempranillos too. I have, yeah, yeah. I've tasted I've tasted the, the gamut. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, as we were discussing earlier, I mean, it's not my job to tell you what my favorites are. It's my job to tell you what's good, and right. there's a difference between that. Um, and I think you know, as an example, Pernella Sellers just hits the ball out of the park every time. I mean, they get Tempranillo. They've and they make a number of different Tempranillos, whether it's Hill Country, High Plains, or specific blocks. Um, this is something they are excelling with. Um, and, again, you know, going back to that, you know, the clean production, the the attention to detail, you can taste that in their wines. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's great. And I th- I would certainly drink their wines if it was served to me, even, though, even if Tempranillo is not the grape you know, that I buy on the shelf if I'm going just grocery shopping one day. Right. Um, I think it's a great wine. Cool. Um, and, and the High Meadow one was, that to me was a, a really fun wine. That was the kind of wine that it's like, if you're having a barbecue um, with friends and you need something to serve in, in the back patio with uh, some ribs, I mean, this is a great, easy, fun wine. We all need a ribs yeah, and barbecue I know, right? wine. You know? <laughs> it's super approachable. And there's even this smokiness to it on the nose that I think is perfect. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Very I mean, cool. it, 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 they do run the gamut. Tempranillo does kind of follow and, a little bit And it does in Spain, too. You know, yes, it's so, totally absolutely. different styles. Um, let's delve into the um, some of the Rhone varieties. And yeah. I, I want to start with um, the McPherson Cinso, because, mm-hmm. you know, Cinso is maybe not a grape that a, a lot of people are not really familiar with. Do you... Um, you, did, did you did you receive a lot of Cinso and did no. you know <laughs> is Kim the only one who's yeah. really doing much with um, it? He's not. You see a couple of other Cinsos out there. Um, Lost Ross Sellers releases uh, a Cinso that's actually made the list in the past. Um, Kim has certainly been the guy that's championing that grape, and I right. think with great 
uh, with good reason. He he does a beautiful job with it. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier about Thanksgiving, like rosés are always a good thing to bring to the table. But Senso, particularly Kim McPherson's Senso is the one I would have. I mean, it's it's super approachable. It's light, but it has um, enough of that backbone that you want from a red wine. Right. Um, and it would go great with turkey. Yeah. I'd prefer it smoked as opposed to roasted, but that's, that's just <laughs> that's me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I I love what he does with it because it's, you know, for those people that that um, that are still maybe new to wine or they only say, well, I only drink. I mean, I can't tell you how many people say, well, I really only drink Sauvignon Blanc or I really only right. drink Cabernet. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said a good entry point for those that say, well, I only drink Pinot Noir, then I like to say, well, good. That's awesome. Let's talk about Senso and let's talk about Merved, which we'll get to probably here in a minute. And, and, and when we're talking about finding a Texas wine, because Pinot Noir is really not a grape we should be talking about here, whether you agree with me or not. Um, I'm going to stand by that. (laughs) Um, so I, I think that it's fun to say, I'm so glad you love Pinot Noir from Burgundy or, you know, Sonoma or, or Oregon even. Um, let's go with some of the characteristics you like about that and let's talk about right. wines here. And that would be the Senso or Merved um, well, selections. I don't, I don't know, Jessica. I only watch romantic comedies. Uh, <laughs> if we, you know, it's like, how could you only one, watch one genre of film? You know? I mean, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, so, in our jobs, like, I can't, I have to say yes to everybody. Right, you know? right, right. I'll right, try right. anything. Well, um, so cool. Let's let's get, let's dig into the Merved. Um, and, um, and if you're just joining us, thank you for tuning in. It's Co-op Radio, and we're here with Jessica Dupuy talking about her top, uh, top Texas wines for the fall uh, for Texas Monthly, texasmonthly.com for the full list. Uh, William Chris, uh, you know, uh, a shining star, I would say. Yes, absolutely. I mean, here, I mean, William Chris, when we talk about Merved, and I think, you know, we have to, again, talk about um, Kim McPherson. I think he's a guy that's been championing that for a long time, yeah. um, a grape grower in the High Plains that Kim works with, but also William Chris works with, and Doug Lewis works with. These, This is Andy Timmons, and he's been growing uh, Merved in, in the Lost Straw Vineyards for a while, um, up in Brownfield, just outside of Lubbock. Cool. And, um this is a great, I mean, I know people love to talk about Tempranillo, and I think it's definitely worth talking about Tempranillo, but uh, I really like what I've seen from this grape um, over the past few years. Yeah. And I think, you know, William Chris is consistently turning out beautiful versions of Merved that speak to uh, the dusty, red, tumbleweed-ridden plains up there and, yeah. um, and in so, a good way. You know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And do people expect... Um, you know, really massive, rich flavors like, you know, in that you find in Bandol, which is one of my favorite regions in the south of France. Uh, those wines are super muscular mm. and, you know, yeah. for the cab drinker. Right. You know. Not you, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you can. Yes. I think there are some styles out there that are reaching that. I think the concentration of fruit that we get on that grape is just different. Yeah. And that that's something that we have to just pay attention to. Same thing with Grenache in Texas. I mean, Good Lord, I would love to have a big, you know, Priorat style garnacha or whatever. Right. But, you know, I don't know that we're going to get there yeah. um, in Texas. That being said, um, Merved does a really good job of revealing, I think, what uh, people talk about all the time, terroir. Um, it, it reveals um, – it, 
it reveals more than just fruit and it reveals certainly more than the 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 oak that it may be put in for a while to age. It's it's got um, a tartness to it, an earthiness to it, and also um, a, a lot of herbs. I'm, I I think that you find that in the William Chris version, but actually one that was very surprising to me and was was probably my my favorite um, of this tasting. Other than the the but- I have I have two other ones, but I'll tell you, I loved the Lewis Wines Merved. This is one of their first um, one of their more recent releases of this grape and. Um, it was just everything, almost bandol. I think it had that richness that you're talking about, yeah. but it had like cranberry, raspberry. It was grippy, but it was um, it also kind of soft as well. This leather characteristic to it. Um, and my favorite part of it was there was this herb to herb de Provence character to yeah, it that, right. to me, that's like that with bright acidity. All of it, it just was like I just want to sit down to some roasted lamb and call it a night. You know, right. this was an amazing, amazing wine. I loved it. Cool. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we, we, we we've only got a few more minutes yeah. left? Yeah. Uh, my only just, the only yeah. other one that was a super fun find for me was was the Fall Creek Vineyards 2013 GSM. Cool. Um, so you know we're talking about here um, those Mediterranean the Southern Rhone grapes and i think that um with uh and sergio- gsm meaning grenache syrah Morved. correct yeah. yeah and i think that sergio quadra uh their winemaker just got a hold of this blend and went to town and it is beautiful <laughs> it's just really beautiful most of the fruit is from actually driftwood from the salt lake vineyards um but he just i don't know it, it tastes to me like the rhone valley and also a little bit like australia yeah. um richness of fruit great structure and complexity. This is a, a superstar. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you for your list, and we'll keep on uh, you know, staying tuned for the fall. When's the winter one coming out? Do we, It'll be just a, before Christmas, just, just in time Christmas. for you to buy a couple yeah. before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. Um, before before I want to mention um, your your book that just came out, because it's uh, it's been since you've been on this show, Another Bottle Down, last. Uh, yeah. Tell us about uh, United Tastes of Texas. Yeah, so in my other life, I write about food. Right. Um, and I, I love cooking and love uh, writing about it. So uh, this is a project that I did with Southern Living Magazine, um, and it is a, a kind of an homage to Texas cooking uh, through the lens of, of looking at Texas through the uh, at the regions and the, and the way that these regions were settled. So cool. you know you've got the coastal region, you've got East Texas and West Texas, Central and South. All of these are areas of the state that were settled in, in very different ways. And so the foods um, and the ways that we cook are very different. Um, but it's hard to you know encompass all Texas food in, in one list. So right. it was a good way to kind of look at history, look at our flavors. Why are our flavors the way that they the way that they are? And um, and really, the best part about it is cooking your way through that, right. tasting all yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, wonderful. Well, um, folks can probably get more information at uh, jessicadupuy.com. Um, and, of course, your uh, your list with Texas Monthly at texasmonthly.com. Jessica, thank you so much for all that you do in the food and the wine industry. And um, and, and we'll hope to hopefully have you on again soon sometime. Yeah, thank you. We, you. we have to talk about your recent travels to Francia Corta, but for another time. Oh, absolutely. I'm in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for tuning in. This is Co-op Radio K. OOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM.